Hello, and welcome to the Three Will Podcast. This is Danny Ryan, uh, VP of Business Development, co-founder for Three Will, and I've got Tommy here with me. Tommy is the president and other co-founder of Three Will. Thanks for joining me, Tommy. Glad to be here, Danny. Awesome. And uh, Tommy and I are getting together weekly to talk about uh, topics that are near and dear to us. Uh, we started last week where we were talking about um, sort of the where Three Wheel came from, the idea of focusing in on people, process, and technology. And of those, we wanted to sort of do a primer for uh, this year just to sort of get us kicked off in the process area and do a primer for Scrum and talk a little bit about Scrum. So I think to get us started with this, um, maybe can you just give me a high level, what is Scrum? What is, you know, that, uh, I guess the, the word Scrum comes from what? <laughs> uh, the word Scrum comes from um, the term used in rugby, mm -hmm. and I'm not a rugby player, but from my understanding, a Scrum is, is coming together. Um, you, you see that where they, they're all interlocking, coming yep. together and trying to move forward with the team. And that can look messy, can look um, kind of uh, uh, rough, uh -huh. but the, the, the objective is to move forward as a team. So that's where that term comes from, you know, originates from is the, the rugby term for scrum um, and what scrum is. And tell me, um I guess we, I remember for, for a while you and I were looking at, so we wanted to decide on a process that we were going to use at three level. And we went back and forth. I think we, we, this was when fairly early on in the company's history, we didn't want to sort of make up our own thing. We wanted it to be something that, um, there were books written about, that it was a well known process. Um, I think we had, we had done in our early days had done some stuff with like, uh, ra you know, with uh, rational stuff and with some of the early, you know, processes that were involved with that were a little bit more formal. And then over time, we ended up finding out about Scrum, finding out about some of the agile processes. Why did we decide to go with Scrum? Well, you know, when we looked at the different methodologies, uh, we were familiar with RUP, the Rational Unified Process, and it was an iterative process had some really good things about it, um, fairly formal, well-documented, um, larger organizations um, were adopting it. And um, as we started exploring what we wanted in a process that was approachable to our clients, that um, we didn't want to spend a lot of time explaining the process, we wanted to um, start getting into delivering to our customers. and and uh, giving them you know, a five-minute overview or 30 minutes at most to mm -hmm. educate them on the process. We found that Scrum was the, the, the simplest, most straightforward, common-sense approach to um, getting software development projects done. Mm -hmm. um, iterative, I think, was key to us, that we felt that projects that didn't do well were ones that were more big bang yep. projects where you kind of showed them the software at the end of the project, and if they didn't like it, which usually you don't if you don't see it at the end, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of left in, in interpretation, even if you have very rigorous, detailed requirements, until people see software working, uh, they don't know if they like it or not. So we like the concept of every month or every two weeks or every week, 
to show functional working software. And that was a very big tenant of Scrum. Mm -hmm. um, and then the things that we did that were successful on whatever methodology we used before, we found those common within Scrum. So a, a daily meeting, a daily stand-up that was short and concise. Uh -huh. um, so that daily sprint that you have in Scrum where you talk about what is um, accomplished, what is planned, and what's in the way. Um, and doing that in 15 minutes or less. We find that that's a great way to keep the team in sync with each other and not to veer off in a direction that's not valuable. So that's a daily meeting that you have that's called the daily stand-up that, that everybody just answers those three questions. Yes. Okay. And, and that, um, we do that religiously on yeah. our projects. It's something that we, we never skip. Um, so critical and important is that daily inspection of the team. And does a client does a client listen in on that, or are they involved in it? Clients are always welcome uh -huh. in that, and and especially if they are team members where they're doing parts of the project. Okay. So if they are another developer on the project, um, if they are helping with driving requirements and mitigating risks um, related to the project, as much as they can be on that daily stand-up, the, the better the project's going to be. So you might have someone that's on the customer side that maybe is not doing development, but knows about how to get things done within that organization, how to go get accounts, how to um, get people's attention to remove in impediments. Mm -hmm. It's great to have that type of person on your daily stand-up. And if we keep it to 15 minutes or less, which we're good about that, um, that allows very busy people to participate. You know, if it's an hour meeting or an hour and a half meeting, yeah. that becomes, well, I just don't have time for that. Um, so, yes, you know, we, we have our customers on meetings. Do we have some that the customers, we have zero customer uh -huh. participation? That, that is um, the case. Um, I would say those are tougher projects yeah. um, because there's not as much of a overall we are the team mentality versus us you know, versus them. Let's talk about, you mentioned an, something that may be a new term to folks, which is sprints. What's a sprint? A sprint is, um, it's considered an iteration. People mm -hmm. probably have heard the, the term iteration. Mm -hmm. um, that's a term used in, in the Rational Unified Process and just in terms of development methodology where people talk about having a waterfall process versus an iterative process. Uh -huh. In an iterative process, um, you have iterations and mm -hmm. sprint is just another term for iteration. And during that period of time, we look at it as a complete life cycle of realizing software. Okay. So you start with um, you know, requirements. So we have user stories that feed into that sprint, which is a way to describe what we're going to work on. Mm -hmm. And that user story, we have to elaborate on that. So we'll go through more detailed elaboration around what needs to be done to satisfy that requirement. And we'll do the design required to be able to know what we're going to build. We will build it and we will test it and we're deploy it. So we go through the full life cycle that you would see in a, in a project and get that complete in two weeks. Okay, so two okay. weeks is a typical time frame for this? or that, That's our default, uh -huh. you know, depending on the organization that might 
um, end up being three weeks. You know, if they have some heavy processes that are involved in order to complete a sprint, um, for example, testing, mm-hmm. maybe um, that requires a longer cycle, then we might have a three-week sprint. And then if we're doing things that are very small projects that, you know, short duration, we need to have that feedback cycle of are we on track and see that more often, maybe a four-week project, uh-huh. we would, you know, end up breaking that up into one-week sprints. Um, so, yeah, two weeks is our default. We, we find that it's enough time to get something of value done that mm-hmm. the client is happy to see and, and gives us the feedback that we need to continue to be on track. What's, I guess, the first sprint that you have? I think it's called it's like Sprint Zero, where you first start putting together the, the product backlog. Talk me through that. Yeah, the Sprint Zero is, um, is really a, a sprint to, to baseline and vet out enough detail to understand you know, the order of your product backlog, get enough of a running head start on more detailed requirements that are going to feed into the early sprints. Mm-hmm. Um, and to make sure that whatever we've estimated, we validate that we've gone a little layer deeper into the detail to make sure we're budgeted appropriately and the timeline's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, Sprint zeros, you know, can be a day where, you know, we're just going through and and just tying off some loose ends to Mm -hmm. get the project started. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it can be, um, you know, two weeks, um, depending on the the complexity of the project. And that is, in some cases, people will look at that as elaboration or envisioning. Mm -hmm. Those types of terms might be used that, that are similar to what you do in a sprint zero. Um, we're also get the team kind of started some of the logistical pieces like getting accounts in place, developer environments set up. And those are some things that don't necessarily produce, you know, a completed feature as much as just, you know, block and tackle of the logistics that you want to st- do in the beginning of the project. And I talked with uh, another podcast, talked with Bruce about creating sales estimates. And I like to think that the Sprint Zero starts in the sales process very early on. I like to start to put together those user stories, like to start to put uh, put together sort of sizing of the backlog and putting together those estimates so that we start out with an appropriate budget for the project, which is really difficult to do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you have, you don't have all the information yet. You need to put together a budget that is appropriate for what you're trying to do. Right. And that, that's probably what we feel is very powerful in adopting this methodology is we traditionally would in the sales process, try to sell, an envisioning project yeah so we could get in the door and and have an engagement that would allow us to um, you know size and estimate an effort and then in, in scrum we find that we can put appropriate time boxes around certain requirements and give a directional budget that in most cases is an adequate budget mm-hmm. that allows us to engage and the customer has a sense of how much do I need to invest to get to the finish line mm-hmm. versus a lot of times they have to invest to even have the conversation. Um, 
we, we have some engagements where, you know, things are just not enough, you know, meat on the bones to estimate something yeah. where it's important for the customer to move forward and get to a point where they know what they need to estimate and we're due an engagement around, you know, helping them through that process of vetting out what are your requirements. But we find in a lot of cases, customers know enough to be able to set a budget. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that within a couple of days, it's very empowering. We give them a lot of detail and information to say, yes, I want to spend money to go do these things in this timeline. And then the sprint zero is to say, okay, we, we got to a good um, initial budget. Let's validate that that budget is appropriate by taking you know a deeper dive into some riskier areas of the project. Mm-hmm. And what we find is typically we're not expanding the budget. Um, you would think that well that's you know maybe a, a typical outcome of a sprint zero, but usually what the outcome is is we clarify the the needs and we can use that budget to slot in the things that are most important and the things that are not as important we can push out to something in the future and make room for things that maybe weren't revealed in the estimation uh, Mm -hmm. the first estimation so what we know our customers are in this situation of they don't like dipping to the well often so if we go and estimate something, um, we will go into that sprint zero to say, yes, we said it's 100K. Yeah. Now when we get into the details, well, we didn't know about this. This is extra work. We talk about other things in the backlog that are maybe lower priority and or things that we can do in a cheaper way yeah. that are low-cost alternatives. You know, we always like to give them, you know, multiple choices to choose from to satisfy that requirement. And some are more expensive, some are cheaper. So depending on how important that requirement is, we might go with the more expensive options with the items that are higher priority. And then the things that are not as important, um, we find ways to be frugal with, with our budget. That's one of the things I've, I've from an outsider looking at projects, uh, I've liked with Scrum allows for the customer to have the flexibility to change their mind right. because it's, it's not always so much that it, it's their business situation can change, priorities can change in, inside the organization. So, you know, it, it, it allows for them to have that flexibility, um, which is, I think, is really important. And, and over time, they can optimize their budget. They can, they can decide what's, what is priority versus what isn't. And I, along those lines, I think we often look for what, what's in Scrum called a product owner. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about what a product owner is. Well, a product owner is that person that, in a sense, owns the requirements, represents the requirements for the, their organization, and um, is going to be our primary point of contact to prioritize things, to you know, vet out the scope. They might delegate some of that to say, here's a subject matter expert around uh-huh. that particular um, story in the product backlog, and you know, we'll spend time with them. But if it comes to push versus shove and what's gonna fall in and out, um, our product owner is, is our key point of contact to make those decisions. Um, 
In most cases, we'd like that to be more of a business stakeholder that is the person driving the need and will realize the value versus someone that's just a technical um, stand-in that's more like a project manager. Yeah. You know, ideally for us, it, we're, we're working with the true person that needs this, mm-hmm. that's you know, evangelizing this and, and representing this as something that's of value to do in the organization. So, um, so that product owner is, you know, one that if you get a good product owner, usually it's a very busy person, the yeah. person that's making a difference in their organization. So, again, with Scrum being a very lightweight methodology, um, we can get them involved in very short bursts of time where there's high value in those conversations and they're not having to go through very detailed, laborious steps that they just give up early on to be involved in the project. So they might not be a part of like the daily stand-up, but they may be a part of like the sprint review, which is what happens when you sort of start out the sprint and then um, the sprint. Sprint planning to start planning. out the sprint and then sprint review. To, oh, that's to, right. I got the mixed up. Sprint. Yes. sprint planning to start out, sprint review to, right. to wrap it up. So that those two meetings are probably very important to have the product owner in, in on those meetings. Yeah, we get nervous when the product owner is not in those meetings. So yeah. that those are, if you would say, mandatory, those would be the mandatory meetings we'd want to see a product owner involved. Um, for one, in the planning, we're, we're determining what's going to get pulled into the sprint. Okay. And we need to understand that priority. Um, sometimes it's a technical reason why it goes in first. But uh, in most cases, we're trying to bring in something that has higher business value um, or something that needs to be built upon in terms of um, additional features on top of that core feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need them in that planning. And we do a lot of that planning, um, sometimes without the product owner, to kind of get through the nitty-gritty yeah. of what are all the sprint tasks that are needed to satisfy that story in the product backlog. Um, so we typically don't take them through that detailed step of, well, we need test for one hour. We need to have you know development of this you know, method <laughs> in coding to get that feature to work. Um, They're more va- validating stuff that probably we've already got down on paper for them to, you know. We're bringing in more of, is this the right product backlog to yeah. bring into scope? We won't necessarily talk Go about sausage. <laughs> keep, keep, keep the customer away from the sausage yeah, making. Yeah. Very, yes. I think that's a, a very important thing. So, talking about roles, what's the what's what's a scrum master? A scrum master um, is the person that facilitates the process for the team. Mm-hmm. So they're um, making sure that the daily standups are occurring. They're usually facilitating the sprint planning and sprint review. And a lot of times they're running down the impediments. They're, they're protecting the team um, from you know, things that are gonna slow them down um, for the items they're going after. So in, in the world of other methodologies, you hear the word um, project manager. Mm-hmm. Um, we've made a mistake in calling sometimes people that play a scrum master in our projects a project manager or even hire people that are project managers. Um, we've kind of learned from that that a project manager is 
uh, in a lot of cases, the command and control of divvying out the tasks and, yeah. and, and setting a plan and sticking to this plan. Um, in Scrum, the concept of self is self-organizing teams and that there's more energy, there's more commitment, there's more accomplished when the team is making their own commitments. And so in order for that to happen, you need to have a Scrum Master facilitating are we making sure that all the things that came into that sprint, there is an owner assigned. They won't necessarily assign it as much as making sure that it is been taken from mm -hmm. the team. Um, and, you know, they're also doing things in, on our projects that um, are more formal, things like status reports and um, you know, making sure that meetings are scheduled, some of those logistical steps mm -hmm. um, that most developers, you know, want to work on fixing, problem solving, you know, getting that next feature developed. Um, versus scheduling meetings and filling out reports. So a scrum master takes on that responsibility too. Any other key roles that you would point out as when doing a primer like this on scrum? You know, in terms of roles, there's the team, there's yeah. the scrum master, and then there's the product owner. And that's really, that's all you need to know okay. um, when it comes to roles. And then when you think about, um, artifacts or meetings. Um, we talked about the daily stand-up. Sometimes people call that the daily scrum. Okay. We've called it daily stand-up because scrum is kind of a, can be a confusing term, so we've kept that out and, and called it daily stand-up versus daily scrum. Um, we've talked about sprint planning. We've talked about sprint reviews. One thing to mention on sprint reviews, sprint reviews, we see it as a celebration. The team coming together to say, look what we've done, look at what we've accomplished. And for the product owner to see that, get excited and give us feedback of, you know, does that feel right? Is that the right direction that we're heading? Or yes, I said this, but it actually looks like this and that's not exactly what I want. And so we want that feedback because that's, that's important for us to correct um, along the way. The other things that you have is we have a, an extranet um, that is, basically the storyboard or the work board that you would have for a scrum team, which lists out the backlog and then shows backlog as it progresses from you know, sitting there in the queue to it's in process to it's done. Mm -hmm. So you know, that's um, an important aspect of scrum. And then there's two kind of charts that we keep track of. One is a sprint burned down and the other one is a um, I'd say a product backlog burned down and the sprint burned down is saying we've committed to, to 10 story points it's you know these stories that came in where are we in terms of the number of hours we're consuming and how much time do we have left because it's kind of a sprint a race to finish off that sprint by the end um, Talk, talk to me more about like capacity and velocity and what what is I think you're starting to get into that a little bit with the with the burn down chart. Right. So when you look at a, a sprint burn down, you go into that sprint. And let's say you have a um, a two person team. It's two weeks long, mm -hmm. forty hours per person. It's 160 hours that's going to come into that sprint. Okay. In terms of capacity, 
and that capacity says, all right, we've got 160 hours, what can we get accomplished? And pulling in, based on priority, what is the next backlog? Well, this backlog is um, five story points, and we don't know how much time that's gonna take really until we, we dig into the details, and we start saying, okay, if we do this, we need to do this, 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 and this task. Mm-hmm. If I add it up for the team, that's going to be um, 40 hours of effort. So I've consumed 40 hours out of that 160 hours of capacity. And I continue to pull in product backlog until I've reached my capacity. Or maybe 80, 90% of my capacity because there might be some tasks that I didn't think of from day one that come up along the way, or sometimes you can be aggressive and say, this is going to take an hour, but it actually takes two hours. Mm-hmm. So that is you know, some of the terminology that comes into uh, a sprint burn down. And then the product backlog burn down is saying, we've got 100 story points that are a part of this um, project. We want to make sure we're on pace that by the end of the budget, the end of the timeline, we've completed all the stories that are in scope. So we're plotting after each sprint, how far are we working down that product backlog? And do we have a trajectory that brings us to where we want to land at the end of the project? So one of them tells you whether you're on for, whether for that sprint, whether you're gonna be able to make, to accomplish what you need to within that sprint, and then the other one's more around the project itself. Yes, yeah, the overall health of the project and the health of the sprint. And what's really neat about Agile is the thing that can typically make a project fail is the lack of kind of intensity and commitment or the the excess of of commitment, let's say, Uh in a project. So when you look at, say, a waterfall project, a lot of times it's you're spending too much time in certain activities, you're, you know, at a slower pace, and then you get to, oh, crap, we're here, we've got one month left, we've got a lot to do, and then you start working overtime and cramming a lot of things in. When you look at sprints, what we're trying to do is shorten that overall project life cycle into a two-week life cycle that you're creating a pace mm-hmm. and we're going to go after it with some sense of urgency that you want to be done by the end of the sprint. And if we do that and we bring in the right amount that doesn't overload the team, um, then we can establish a pace from the beginning and not let oh, there's four weeks left in the project to be the, the, the catalyst that starts making us go at a good pace. So for us, it gives us a sense of accountability of let's break up this big project yep. into smaller projects in a sense and let's show that we can get this these many projects done on time and give confidence to our customer that we can make and keep commitments to stay on track for the project. And I think this is important for us because I think well, you and I, are, we're pretty passionate about staying balanced. And this this is a sort of a naturally occurring thing that even maybe there's a sprint where where there was too much taken on, you can adjust in the next sprint and say, maybe I can't take on that many story points. Maybe right. I need to, you know, and so it, it almost builds into the system 
a way of adjusting so that you right. you know you're you're trying to, you're doing the things that need to happen um, sooner. And I think also I wanted to ask you about um, I've heard this mentioned a lot, which is fail early. What does that mean? Yes, and, and so that that whole sense of um, you know bringing it into sprints and you can get real with that and and let's say you bring in ten story points. You've got ten sprints, and it's uh, you know a hundred stories in the whole overall project, and you only get five story points accomplished. Mm-hmm. There's something you can that that, that tells you, because um, in other projects where you're doing all design up front, then all um, development, then all testing, you really don't get a sense of how long does it take to get this thing built. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're getting percentage completes along the way and that can be very misleading so when you have sprints and I only get five out of the ten done you got to make some tough decisions yeah you've got to decide alright do I need to cut some of the scope and is that appropriate and is that a mutually agreeable thing with you and the client um, you're just you know saying factually this is what it's looking like what should we do um, because the, most of the work we do is time and material. We, we take it on as mentally almost as fixed bid. I mean, we kind of look at it as we want to get this done with the budget because that's usually a very happy customer. Mm-hmm. To, ask, ask, to ask for more money is usually not a good conversation. So <laughs> we, we look at that. If we fail early, we only got five out of the ten. And if we stay on pace at you know, five out of ten, we'll only get half of this thing done. Um, let's have those tough conversations. Let's say... All right, we're working together with you, and really, in reality, we thought it was going to be at this pace of ten stories per sprint, but in reality, it's going to take five. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's the processes that are in place within the organization. Maybe it's just the dynamics of, you know, how particular the product owner is, um, the pace of the team itself, and and or the the typical impediments that come up with that type of organization. We'd rather say this is not going to work after you know we've done a fifth of the project than after we've done more than three quarters of the project. Is it? It's a we're not putting our customer in a really bad position in a tough position up you know early on, mm-hmm. but a much better position than I've spent almost all my budget, and if I only get half of it, I can't launch it at all. I can't use it. It has no value for me, and. Uh, that's, I'm sure there's consulting companies out there where that's their mode of operation, right? Oh, let's just use up all the budget, then go ask for more, then use up the budget, then go ask for more. You know, I, I don't th- want. I, I think don't, the, 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 I don't know if that's the motivation as much as well. The customer created that problem. Uh huh. Poor customer. They've done they, that. Now we just have to, you know, spend more money. Um, let's change order them to death. You know, there. I think a part of it is is there. Do, it doesn't allow for any flexibility in the uh, as part of the process, so that when someone changes their mind, which they have inevitably do, and they should, you know, business changes, whatever reason, is to allow for those changes to occur where you're you're not saying, oh, originally you said this, and now you're saying this. It's going to cost you this much. Or, you know, we're going to charge you this much more for it. I like how Scrum allows for you to change your mind on things. Right, I think it's, right. that's a very important thing to emphasize. It is. And, and I think trust, I'm sorry, Scrum operates underneath um, 
having a high trust yeah. environment. Scrum doesn't work as well in a low trust environment. Um, low trust environments are tend to lend themselves to more of a waterfall type arrangement where every step of the way you're um, you're tweaking the contract in a sense. You're uh, you're you're making incremental commitments, and you're very careful about your commitments. Within Scrum, I think it's a it's a it's a team effort, and it gives a lot of flexibility to change your mind to mm-hmm. go in different directions and still achieve achieve the business goal. But if you're working in a low trust environment, people can nitpick, and they can either and it can come from both sides. It can come from the client picking on, well, you didn't do this to this specification, to this detail, or from the consultant side to say, well, you didn't do this, so we need a change order because you've got a new requirement or you gave us more detail. Yeah. Um, you know, we find with the agility of, of Scrum as an agile methodology, we can adjust and spend their money in the highest value way that we're really working on things that are important to them as they discover what's most important. When you're in other contractual relationships like a waterfall, you can almost say, well, you told me to do this and I'm going to do all that and charge you all that. And it doesn't matter if you change your mind, you can't because if you change your mind, you're going to have to pay for that and pay for your new idea. <laughs> we're, we're always trying to say, let's be careful how far we go into that until you really know what you want. So when you know what you want, we can build that for you versus build something that we're guessing that you want. Mm-hmm. We could talk for hours. Yes. <laughs> and therefore, I think this this served, I think there's some other things we could probably hit on, but we'll, let's hit on them in follow-up podcasts. I think for what we were trying to do today, I think this is a good primer on getting started with um, learning more about Scrum. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this, Tom. It was a great conversation. Sure. Yeah, like like I said before we even started the podcast, all you have to do is wind me up. <laughs> you say process, and I can go and go and go. Okay, I, I, and process, I, and I, go. <laughs> and, I, and I think, you know, what the part of the passion behind process is, I think process is a way to take technology, map it to a business problem in a way that adapts to a personal need, mm-hmm. to, to the individual. It's very relational. And Scrum is a methodology that values those relationships mm-hmm. over the tools and the process, really. It, it's very relationship-focused and very collaborative. And you know, we love collaborative applications, and we care about you know, serving our customers and and that's a big reason why we pick Scrum, not because it protects us, but because it serves our clients well and gives them better value at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, it's been one of those decisions that we've made that I don't think we've ever regretted going down the Scrum path. It, it really hasn't had too many drawbacks. It, it's been so positive. Our, our clients love it. And usually, you know, one of the things that we hear the most from a customer satisfaction survey, what did you like the most in this process, which, you know, kind of throws you off when you first see that because you think, oh, that's kind of dry, that's boring. But at the end of the day, it's what helped them, you know, address their pain. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're all about doing is coming in and addressing pain. Yeah, it's been interesting for me because just sort of some of the marketing stuff, you know, outsourcing some of that to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. And um, just it, it, I think it's opened my eyes a little bit about what is it like to go after something where you're outsourcing, a, 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 outsourcing something to get some help. And I just see so many positive things coming from you know, taking this approach that it, it, I really think it is. It's, it, it makes us a, you know, very different from other organizations. I know it, there's even been organizations where we, um, after the project there, I think they think, yeah, they think one of the best things about the project was the process we used and then they want to adopt it internally. I think that's one of those things. It's just awesome to see. It's like we, this project went so well, we want to try to use the same type of process internally for other teams. And I think that's a, that's a great sign that, hey, we're doing something right. When they almost, and we'll do pro- sometimes projects with them and rub off on them. Okay, this is, yes, we do daily stand-ups. Yes, we, you know, yes, the, all the all the sort of habits that are a part of Scrum. To see the client want to adopt those habits, it really feels like we're, we're making, a, making a very positive change inside their organization. So... Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. If you've made it this far, I'm impressed. <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening in. Um, absolutely drop by our website, threewell.com. Um, and we'll have some follow-up topics over the next couple weeks on process. I've also got some good stuff coming with some people interviews uh, so you can learn more about the people here at Threewell. And then, of course, technology. We'll talk plenty of technology because we love to do that as well. We'll have some technology topics coming up as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you, Dan. Bye-bye.